So how you guys doing with school? Anyone, anyone like excited it's almost over? Yeah? How many more months? Four, five? Yeah? How many of you guys are just loving it? Anybody? A few, okay, a few people. But for most people, it's like, ah, I can't wait to get over this. Ten years ago, I was in the same place as some as you. Um, I'm 29 now. So, oh, yeah, getting old. Almost 30. Yeah, it's not fun. Every time I look in the mirror, I'm just like, who am I? Who have I become? I've made a huge mistake. I, yeah, 10 years ago, so it would be more like 12 years ago for me, 17. I was in the same place as some of you guys because I was really excited to get high school over with. Who here is just excited to get high school over with? Anybody? Yeah, you, even if you're not a senior, some of you guys are just like, I'm so excited to get high school over with. Matt, he's not even in high school, but he's excited to get high school over, yeah, awesome. Um, honestly, just to be completely honest, when I was your guys' age, I was so over school. Like, I just was so done with it. Um, I was about to graduate, and I was excited I was going to be done with high school, and I was excited that I was going to go to Bible college, because when it came to high school, like, I never really felt like I was learning anything. Like, I honestly just felt like most of the time, all I did was I crammed for tests and learned the information for, like, one day, took the test, and immediately just dumped all the information out of the left side of my brain and then repeat and start over. Anyone feel me? Like, anyone feel like that's what school's like? It's like you're not actually learning things. Um, and, you know, at that point in my life, I was going to go to England for Bible college, and I was really excited, not even about the learning aspect of Bible college, because I was done with learning. I was done with academics. I was more excited to be in another country. I was excited for new experiences. How many of you guys are excited for new experiences? Getting out of your hometown, going new places, seeing new people. Yeah, for a lot of us, like that's the quest in life. Well, today, I wanna share with you some practical advice that I wish I would have heard at your age, and that is never stop learning. Say that with me. Never stop learning. Now, some of you guys, like, you might be like, okay, that's kind of self-explanatory. I'm in high school. Of course I'm going to be learning stuff. Or maybe you're about to go to college, and you're like, I'm going to college. Of course I'm going to learn things. Maybe for some of you, you're going to Bible college. Of course I'm going to learn things. Well, listen, I can tell you from personal experience that you can go through high school, and you can go through Bible college, and you can go through college and not actually really learn anything because your heart and your mind are not actually open to learning. And so today I want to remind you about the importance about realizing that in every moment, in many different ways, God is trying to teach you something. God wants us to always be learning. He wants us to always be growing. And it's very easy for us to kind of turn off the switch in our Christian brain and stop thinking and stop learning and stop growing. It's very easy for us to coast on what we already know and just think, I've got it all together. So I want to point us to a Bible story today. This is Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there, if not, I'm going to have the words on the screen. The first thing I want to point you to in Luke chapter 2 is just the realization that Jesus learned. Like, that's crazy if you think about it. Jesus actually learned. Um, this is the story. It's in verse 41. 
So it says, Luke 2, 41. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Jesus' family had a yearly tradition. When Jesus was growing up, they would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. That was the festival. It was a really big thing in the Jewish culture, celebrating when Moses led the people out of Egypt and the angel of death came down and killed all of the Egyptian baby boys, but it passed over Israel's family and spared them because they had God's, the, the blood of the lamb over the door. It's this whole thing. Look it up in the Old Testament if you don't know it. But the Jews celebrated this, this crazy thing that happened in their past with this festival. So verse 42, when Jesus was 12 years old, younger than pretty much all of you, they went up according to the custom of the festival. And after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. And assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey and they began to look for him among your, their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Now, just I just imagine this being like a really like bad moment in Joseph and Mary's marriage because you know Mary like God visited her and was like, "You shall have the Messiah, like the Son of God will be born to you." And Mary's probably like, "Joseph, you had one job. Don't lose the Son of God. What is wrong with you?" Um, but yeah, they lost Jesus somehow. Jesus got separated from his parents and were wandering. He was wandering around Jerusalem by himself. So very stressful situation for uh, Joseph and Mary. Verse 46, uh, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. His answers, crazy. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Okay, so first of all, be encouraged because even Jesus got in trouble with his mom. You thought it was just you. It was actually Jesus too. So, uh, except Jesus never sinned. So you got in trouble with your mom because you sinned. Jesus just got in trouble because he's awesome and Mary couldn't handle his awesomeness. But you can't use that strategy. You can't be like, mom, you just can't handle my awesomeness. That's why I'm in trouble. It worked for Jesus. It doesn't work for you. Anyway, yeah, verse 49, uh, this is Jesus' response. They're, they show up. Let me just paint the picture again if you missed it. So Jesus is wandering around, and he ends up in the temple. And he's there with all of these scribes, these scholars, these guys who are very wise, the long flowing beards. And Jesus is 12 years old. And it says that Jesus is asking them questions. He wants to learn. He's like, hey, tell me about this. Or like, hey, in the Torah, like, why did Moses do that when he could have done this? And, and he's having these dialogues, and he's asking these questions. And it says that he doesn't even, uh, or he doesn't only ask questions. Jesus also gives answers. So he's sitting there, and, and the old men are like pondering and stroking their beards and just like, hmm, yes, that's a good question, young Yeshua. That was Jesus' name, short for Josh. So if your name is Josh, you have the same name as Jesus. So that's cool, but I'm not going to worship you. Anyway, um, Jesus is, he's there and he's asking these guys questions and he's even giving them answers. He's blowing their mind. Like he's, he's pulling out this stuff out of thin air and they're just like, whoa, this is the wisest 12-year-old we've ever met. I don't know about you, but like, no offense, but most 12-year-olds aren't that wise. Uh, I was a junior high pastor for a long time. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, some of them were, you know, some are wise. I'll give you that. There are some very wise junior high kids out there. But for the most part, they would ask me questions at camp, 
And they'd be like, what time is dinner? And I'm like, it's literally like in the booklet. I wrote it on your hand. Like I stapled it to the back of your eyelid. So every time you close your eye, you see it. No, I didn't really do that. Anyway, you're like, what? You're, you're weird. Get off the stage. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to get back to the story. Um, verse 49, here's Jesus' response. He's like, hey, mom, dad, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. They're just like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like such a mature response. Like this 12-year-old kid, he's out there talking to the sages and the scholars. They show up, Jesus, where have you been? Your mother and father, we've been sick, we've been worried. And Jesus is like, hey, wait, why are you guys looking for me? Like, didn't you know that I like need to be in my father's house? I need to be studying the scriptures. Like, I need, like, I'm the Messiah, mom and dad. I need to be figuring this out. He, 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 he's just, he is locked in to his learning. Jesus understands the importance of learning. He understands how important it is. And, and, and they don't get it. They're just like, you're kind of a weird kid, Jesus. Like, Jesus, you're, you're, you're kind of weird. And it almost sounds sarcastic. Like, he goes missing for days, and he's just like, geez, mom and dad, didn't you know I had to be at church? But pay attention to this last part. In verse 51, it says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to him, or to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. The amazing thing is that it says that Jesus not only grew in just stature. Like Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but like Jesus grew. Like he started out as a baby and he got tall. He was like in his 30s. Like Jesus grew in stature like you do. But not only that, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in knowledge. Like did you know that when Jesus like came out of the womb in the manger, he wasn't like, I know everything. <laughs> like, I am the wisest baby. I, I hold the secret. Mother, Mary, it is I, the Messiah. I hold the secrets of the universe in my hand. Like, no. This is what's crazy. This is what blows me away about the incarnation, okay, about Jesus becoming a man, is Jesus limited himself. Think about it. Like, the most powerful person in the world, God, becomes man, becomes a baby, and has to basically start from scratch. And as he's going through life, he is learning the things from God that he needed to do the miracles, to teach the scriptures, to love people. Like, he did not come out just this, like, perfectly wise, like, he came out as a human, and he had to go through life just as we do, and he had to learn, and he was willing to learn. He was humble to learn. He had this attitude of constantly saying, God, show me what you want me to see. Teach me. He grew in stature and in knowledge, and because of that, he grew in favor with God and with people. You know, oftentimes when I think of Jesus, I mean, when you think of Jesus, do you think of him as someone who needs to learn? Like, no. I always think of him as knowing everything. This is how I imagine Jesus. I imagine him walking into the classroom in his little Hebrew school, and he hands the teacher his scroll, and the teacher says, what's that? And Jesus says, it's all the answers to my homework assignments forever. Like all the homework you will ever assign me, I already knew, and I wrote all the answers down in this scroll. Here you go. And it, you know, the teacher's mind is blown. The, the, that's not Jesus. The, the point is, I don't normally think of Jesus as someone who lacks any knowledge, but it's true here that we see 
that Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man. He puts himself in a position where he has to learn things. Now, I want to ask you something. At your age right now, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, however old you are, are you in a position where you want to learn things? Are you in a position where you are going to God on a regular basis and saying, God, I need to learn. God, I need you to teach me. God, I need you to show me the way. Or are you in a place where you're like, yeah, man, I went, to, I went through children's ministry. I watched all the VeggieTale videos. Like, I know all the songs. Like, I know every Bible story that's ever been taught. Like, I know it all, man. Like, you can't teach me anything. Is that you? Are you in a place? Or maybe you just don't care. Like, maybe you just don't think about it. Maybe you're like, you know, I'll come on Sunday and maybe I'll learn something. I'm not I'm sure not going to take notes or write anything down. Like, why would I do that? That's dumb, you know? <laughs> or are you in a place where you're like, man, God is so big and so awesome and so powerful, and he, he, he wants to teach little old human me. He wants to instruct me. He wants to show me. He wants to unlock the secrets of life and love and happiness and the universe and mission and all of these things. He wants to give those things to me, like, like rubies and gems that he has for you. It's kind of like uh, if you've ever played The Legend of Zelda, you know? Yeah. What do you got all, all around? You got those treasure chests. And you open it up, and it's like, da na 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 And you, like, hold up this ruby, and it's, like, spinning. And it's like, you found a ruby. Like, what if you went through that game, and you never opened the chests? What if all you did was, like, swing your sword at clay pots and grass? And that's all you did, you know? Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Play Zelda. Then you'll know. But the point is, God has treasure for you. Treasure. Knowledge. Are you seeking it out? Are you opening the chests and finding the treasure inside. Here's my next point for you guys. The next point is be teachable. Be teachable. My problem growing up was I was not very teachable at all. I hated when people told me how to do things. Like, you know, when my mom would like tell me how to do something, like Aaron, Aaron, let me show you how to wash a dish. I'd be like, oh no, no, <laughs> I already know how to do that. She's like, no, you don't, because there's, like, food encrusted on this dish. Like, all you did was put it underwater and, like, flip it up and down a couple times. And I hated when my mom would sit me down and, like, try to tell me, or my dad. My dad was even worse. He'd be like, because I wasn't, like, a like man's man, like, oh, I want to go do manly things. But my dad was always trying to teach me stuff like that and, like, yard work. Like, let me show you how to work the lawnmower. And I'd be like, oh, I already know. It's easy. You just press the button, right? And, like, he'd want to sit down and, like, take time to show me. And I just was not teachable. It was very hard to get me to learn how to do things because I thought I knew everything. I really did. And, and I was the person I was just describing, honestly. I was a pastor's kid, and I got to a point where when it came to Christianity at 17 years old, I was pretty sure I had heard every Bible study ever preached. And any time a pastor taught a message, I knew exactly what he was going to say. He'd stand up and be like, all right, guys, turn your Bibles to the story of David and Goliath. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do? Teach a message about how God wants us to, like, fight our, gi our giants and, like, face our fears? Cool. I already know that. I'm leaving. Like, that was me. I just thought I knew everything. It's like, you can't teach me anything, preacher man. Like, I have heard every study. Like, I know every application. Like, there's nothing new to me in Christianity. There's nowhere to go. I have peaked. That's what I thought. And, and the thing was... There was this whole world of information and theology. What's theology? It's God speak. 
It's when we speak about God. It's the way we speak about God. There was this whole world of theology that I had never accessed. This, this whole just treasure trove of doctrine and ways of thinking about God that I had never thought about him before. And all of these things, perspectives different from my own, perspectives different from the ones that I grew up with in my little Christian bubble. And now I realize that every day there's so much I still don't know. Seriously, guys, there's so much. I, I'm your youth pastor, okay? I, I, I go and I preach places and I read the Bible like every day and I study every week and I prep these messages, but there's so much I still don't know. And that's exciting because God wants to teach me and show me. And it makes me hungry to know God better, to seek him with my mind in every way that I can. When I was 17, like I thought I had reached my peak, which, I mean, I'm glad I didn't because... I looked like that, so yeah, that was weird. <laughs> so I don't know what was going on. I looked like Chewbacca. That's a real picture. That's not Photoshop. Like that was on a beach camping trip with my family, and my dad is sitting in the chair next to me, just like looking at me with this face, like, "What is wrong with you? You're not my son. I have no son." Like that's yeah. It was it was a weird time. Anyway, um, so I'm glad that's not as good as it's got. <laughs> But, uh, you know, what I didn't realize is I had so much growing to do in my own life. At that point, I had so much growth. I thought I knew it all up here. I was very prideful when it came to the scripture and my Christianity. I thought I knew it all. But I had so much growing to do in areas like patience, areas like purity, areas like pride, areas like faithfulness, showing up and, and doing the things that I was supposed to do doing my responsibilities, not just unto my parents or my boss, but unto the Lord. And guys, I've said this before, but following Jesus, it is, it's a step you take. You go to camp, someone calls out the altar call, you raise your hand, that's, it's, it's a step you're taking. But it's your first step into a much wider world. That's what Obi-Wan Kenobi said to Luke Skywalker when Luke first began to learn the ways of the force, when he first became force-sensitive, Obi-Wan says, you've taken your first step into a much larger world. And I love that because that is what I'm constantly wanting to call you guys into. I'm wanting you to step beyond this idea of, oh yeah, I got saved and now I just try to be a good person until I die and go to heaven? Like, is that what Christianity, like that's not what Christianity is about. It's a whole world of following Jesus and serving him with your life and every day just saying, God, what do you wanna teach me? What do you wanna show me? My advice to you is be aware of that reality, that there is so much more that God wants to blow your mind with new things and show you deep parts of his heart, but you have to be open to it. You have to be in a constant state of realizing that you're growing. Do you realize that you're growing right now? Do you realize that in your spiritual life, God wants you to be growing? Um, I love what John Henry Newman says, growth is the only evidence of life. That's true. Growth is the only evidence of life. If something stops growing, it's dead, right? I planted an apple tree when I was three in our house in Oregon. I grabbed the little seed. I ate an apple, took the seeds out, put it in the dirt, and just like left it for two years. It never grew. It was not alive. It never actually grew. I wanted it to grow, but you know what? I wasn't doing any work. I wasn't watering it. I wasn't doing anything. And so it didn't grow. 
in your life, are you just expecting to grow? Are you just saying like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a work in progress, you know. I can go out and sin and do whatever I want, but you know, God's still working on me, it's all gonna be okay. Is that your mentality? Or is it, God, help me grow? Are you the little seed in the ground that's constantly begging God to water you? Are you constantly looking at God and saying, God, grow me in my life right now, I need to grow? Isaiah 64, eight says this, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. When you realize that you're being worked on, it's so much easier to work with the one who's working. If you think that you're the master of your destiny, if you think that you're the captain of your life, if you think that all of your dreams and all of your hopes and all of your fears rest on you and your ability to make your life work out, you're gonna find yourself severely mistaken. But if you realize that you are clay and that God is the potter and he wants to work with you and he wants to grow you, then it becomes so much easier for him to work because he's not gonna force you. God is never gonna grab you and throw you on the block and start working. He doesn't work that way. If you don't want him to work on you, if you resist him, he'll let you do your thing for a while, but a lump of clay can't really do anything to itself. If you think you're fine and you don't need to grow, then you will resist growth because growing often hurts. A lot of times in growth, God calls us to change. He calls us to move away from something we love. He calls us to sometimes move away from people that we love for a time. He calls us at times to maybe sometimes lay down something we care about, maybe a relationship, maybe a hobby, um, a lot of times a sin, something that's sinful. Sometimes God calls us to give up things that aren't even sinful, but it's a part of the process of what he wants to do. Have you guys in your life felt like God has told you to do something maybe like a year ago and you still haven't done it and you're wondering like, why am I not seeing any progress in my life? It's because God still wants you to go back and do that thing he told you to do. (laughs) That's happened to me in my life. Don't put a hold on what God is doing in your life by resisting him. Because God wants to remove anything in our life that's holding us back from him. It's a process, but it's a good process to be in. My next point is our purpose is discipleship. It's walking with Jesus, okay? Guys, life is an adventure. It really is. It's an adventure. From the day you're born to the day you die, it's an adventure. But the purpose of the adventure is not the adventure, okay? The purpose of the adventure of life is not, it's not the journey. It's not like, oh, you know, like the destination is great, but like hashtag, like the journey is what it's all about. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm trying to think of like inspirational, you know, Instagram quotes. The purpose is not the adventure of life. The purpose is actually knowing the one who made life. That's the purpose. You were created for a purpose of knowing God. And I'll just be real. For some of you guys, that sounds super lame. Like, I'll just be real. For some of you guys, like, you're like, knowing God, that makes me think of sitting in church and listening to Bible studies and, like, singing songs that I don't know the words to, and I would much rather play Xbox or, like, do my sports or, you know, date this person or, like, 
pursue my career and just make that what life is all about. And none of those things are bad. Sports aren't bad. Dating people isn't bad uh, sometimes. And uh, <laughs> um, yeah, come to our relationship series. It's awesome. It's so good. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, uh, the, the point is knowing God better. And here's the thing. You were invented to know God. That's the thing you need to understand. Like, you were, how many of you guys, well, don't show your hands, but how many of you guys have, like, ever experienced love for someone else, whether it was, like, a crush or maybe for a relative or, like, like your parents or, like, your brother or sister? Like, just this feeling of, like, oh, I love this person so much. Or, like, your dog. You're like, oh, this dog is, this dog is so fluffy. I would do anything. I would die for this dog, right? Like, those, those feelings, it's not, like, some weird feeling. It's God-given because God created us to share in that same love in a much deeper way with him. And when you love God, when you truly love God, and when you truly experience his love, not working hard to get him to accept you, not breaking your back, trying to do spiritual things to get him to love you, but realizing that you're so loved that he would have died on the cross for you if you were the only person on the planet and just realizing that deep, deep love and, and fully just grabbing onto that love and embracing it for everything it is and learning how to walk with Jesus, you experience the same fulfillment that I imagine a bird experiences when it flies because that's what a bird was made to do. That's why it was given wings. And if a bird doesn't fly, it's not really a bird. Sorry, penguins, but you know, you're not. I don't know what you are, but you're not a bird. Um, I'm looking at you too, chickens. Like, what are you, what are you doing over there? Anyway, that's why we eat you, because you don't fly. Anyway, <laughs> but you know what I mean? We were made to glorify God and love him. And when you love God truly, when you truly experience that love and give that love back to him, you will find yourself more fulfilled than any other pleasure on this planet. Not that those other pleasures are bad. God made those pleasures too. Okay? God's not anti-pleasure. He, he invented pleasure. But the ultimate pleasure is knowing God more. The purpose of life is discipleship. What is discipleship? It's just it's following Jesus. It's making Jesus Lord, Master, and King. It's surrendering your entire life to him and dedicating yourself to serving him. And that does not mean you have to work at a church. It does not mean that the only way that you can serve God with your life is working at a church. God wants you to work for him right now. In your school, in your family, in your neighborhood. How, what do I do? Ask him, don't ask me. I can't tell you what to do. You go to God and say, God, how can I serve you? Like, and we have these ideas that like serving God is like such a big thing. Like I need to become the next Phil Wickham. And if I don't develop my music ability and like learn how to sing crazy falsettos, then like I'll never truly serve God. You know what God says in the Bible? He says, hey, if you see a little kid who's thirsty and you go and you get him a cup of water and you give it to him in my name, he did that for me. That's what Jesus said. Like Christianity is about simple acts of obedience. It's about following Jesus in the daily day to day. And as you do that, as, as you look at your day and your school and your life and your home, you say, Jesus, how can I follow you in these areas today? You start to become more of a disciple. And there's always gonna be a fight, seriously. There's always gonna be a fight between your flesh and your spirit. Here's the deal. 
I would say at this point in my life, I am sold out for Jesus, 100% committed to him. I wanna follow him with everything. I wanna serve him with everything. I wanna wake up every single day and say, Jesus, here I am, a sacrifice on the altar. What can I do for you? Now, listen, I just said I want to be that. Am I that always? No. There's plenty of days I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how can I make myself the most happy today? And I don't really think about the Lord. You're gonna deal with that too, okay? You're gonna have days where you war with your flesh, and days where you're like, I am looking out for number one. And you're going to sense the spirit and God's going to say, follow me today. And you're like, oh, but following you, Jesus, would take me away from what I want to do. But that's a battle worth fighting, okay? I'm just trying to be real. You will never reach a point. Like, I have never met a Christian in my life who is like, I have ascended to this place where I never think about myself. I'm always thinking about others and just blessing others and just... Never once have I, I haven't eaten in 10 years because I don't care about my, that doesn't exist. That's not real, okay? We're humans. We've got flesh, okay? We gotta deal with it. So the point is not perfection. I'm not calling you guys to some goal you can't make. What I'm calling you is if you're at a point in your life right now where the thought of, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus and I need to follow him at my sports team and in my school and in my home, like, I need to be going to him and saying, Jesus, how can I serve you in this situation? If that thought hasn't crossed your mind, then let it cross your mind. Tap into it and be like, Jesus, how can I serve you in all these areas in my life? Because you are not the next generation of the church. You are the church right now, okay? Youth room, who cares? You're a church. You are here, not for me, not for you. You're here for the Lord, and you're called to serve him. You're called to a life of service. Have this purpose in mind. Some of you guys will go on to Christian schools and Bible colleges, but going to Bible college and then never serving the Lord with your life, which happens, is kind of like going to film school and then never picking up a camera, right? It's like going to film school and never working on a film. It's like training for 10 years for a sport and then never playing. I know people who went to Bible college, who graduated Bible college, and they are so far away from the Lord right now in their life. It's not a magic formula. Like, that doesn't fix you. You can go through that and still have your heart far, far away from the Lord. The point is not, are you going to Bible college or are you working in a church? The point is you, Christian, follower of Jesus, right now, in your context, in your life, in the situation that God has placed you in, are you following Jesus? Are you following? Are you a fan? Do you like the things that Jesus says in the way that someone likes Instagram posts? Do you swipe through Jesus statements and say, oh, that was awesome, Jesus, on with my life? Or are you an actual follower? Do you look at the things that Jesus says and say, those are the words of life. <laughs> I need to live by these words. In the end, if you go through this experience of youth group, and in the end, it doesn't do anything. It's like you're saying, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a good experience, but it didn't really change me. And that's crazy because this experience, not just youth room experience, but Christianity is supposed to fundamentally change you from the ground up. The problem is some of you guys have been born into the church like me, and so you don't actually know what you were supposed to be changed from. 
You don't remember life when you were dealing drugs on the street or life when you had nothing and you were a drunk, alcoholic, violent, abusive person. You don't have that history. You were born in the church. So for a lot of you guys, you're like, what am I even saved from? If that's you, get with the Lord and be like, God, reveal to me who I'm supposed to be in you. Not who I think I am, not who my parents want me to be, who am I supposed to be? Because the goal should always be becoming more like Jesus. Keep that on your mind. We live in this era of what Eugene Peterson calls an era of instant gratification. What that means is we want like, to instantly become whatever we want instantly. Like We want the fast track. We want things microwaved, right? I want things microwaved. Like, I don't want to wait. Like, I don't want to put it in a frying pan. Like, I want it instantly, right? So we have this idea that, you know, if we go to camp and say a prayer, then it's instant Christianity, and all of a sudden we're fully walking with Jesus. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's a slow process. Here's what Eugene Peterson says. In an era of instant gratification, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. It's setting your eyes on Jesus and saying, I'm going to walk through life, and as I walk through life, things are going to pass me by. Like, as I walk, there's going to be things on the road that I encounter. There's going to be sports I play. There's going to be people I date. There's going to be jobs that I have, things that I do. Those are all things I'll encounter on the path. But as I'm walking towards Jesus, when I encounter those things, I am not going to stop. I'm not going to be like, okay, uh, I was walking towards Jesus, but now there's this relationship in my path, or there's this sport in my path, or there's this job in my path, or there's this career in my path. So now I'm going to put that Jesus thing on a break, and I'm going to focus on this thing. No, you walk towards Jesus, and you take that stuff with you, and if it becomes a weight and it holds you back from following Jesus, you let it go. But no matter what, you keep walking. It's a long obedience in the same direction, and it calls us to leave everything behind that holds us back from following him wholeheartedly, because the point is discipleship. The next point is never stop learning, the title of the message. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put aside childish things. You guys are pretty much adults now. <laughs> You're called to put aside childish things. Now listen, I spent this weekend playing video games with my wife, okay? I was playing some snipper clips, and uh, anyone play that on the Nintendo Switch? Yeah, you like cut out shapes, it's really weird. And then we played a boxing game called Arms, and we played that the video game night. Guys, my wife destroyed me. Like, I'll admit, the first time we played, I let her win because I was like, I, you know, I'll do that sometimes, like, to, to make her feel better about it. But literally, the next three rounds, she destroyed me. And I was sitting there like, I am legitimately trying the way I tried when I played against Matt the other night, and Brooklyn is destroying me. Um, anyway, like I said, I, I am a... Uh, almost 30 year old and I still watch cartoons and play video games and eat cereal on Saturday mornings at times. So what the verse is saying is not like, you're an adult now so you can never do anything that a kid does ever, because that doesn't make sense. Like kids eat and sleep. So when it talks about childish things, what it's talking about is childish ways of thinking. Like ways of thinking, like what does a child do? Like does a child contribute? to society? No, a child takes. A child just like 
sleeps and eats and poops and says, you fix this. You feed me. You take care of me. You do this for me. Honestly, as a youth pastor for many years, that is a lot of times how people can be in the church. It's just like, hey, I'm here. Like, give me a Bible study. Make me feel good. I'm coming back next week. I'm gonna, I've been sinning all week. I'm like, you need to clean this up. Like, that's, that's how people a lot of times are in the church. It's just like, I wanna be blessed. Like, that's why I come to church. I wanna be blessed. I wanna be fed. Take care of me. But what does an adult do? An adult gets fed, but then what does an adult do? An adult pours out. The adult is the one who takes care of the babies. The adult is the one who says, my life is not just about myself and what I can get out of it and what other people can do for me. My life is about serving. It's about finding the babies. And now I was once a baby and I was fed and I was cleaned up and I was taken care of. Now I'm gonna find the young ones and I'm gonna pour into them. I hope that some of you guys, I hope that many of you guys in this group will one day serve as counselors and youth groups because that changed my life. And I think it would do the same thing for you if you would open yourself up to it. We've got an amazing children's ministry here at the church. We've got an amazing junior high ministry. I would really encourage you guys to consider how can I pour out? How could God use me? If that means you have to show up early on first service to like do children's ministry and then like after first service come to second service, yeah, you have to wake up a little bit earlier, but it's awesome. It's worth it. I, I encourage you guys, think about how can I serve? How can I pour out? We can tend to sometimes in the church have an attitude of um, anti-intellectualism, going back to the learning thing. And what that means is we can treat learning as if that's only something for rich elites who are out of touch. I've heard people say before in different churches things like, well, the 12 disciples were just fishermen with no education, so it's fine for me to have no education. Here's the thing. I think God can absolutely use somebody with no education. But God does not need you to have a piece of paper from the school for you to be able to be used by him in mighty ways. So that's very true. Like, I know people who are amazing pastors who never went to Bible college. I know people who are amazing church workers and volunteers who never went to Bible college. But on the other hand, God gave us a mind and he gave you a mind and he created that mind with unlimited potential to learn. Luke 10, 27 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. I wanna encourage you guys, be open to learning. Be open to God teaching you. Um, I remember I watched this movie when I was 16. I rented it, VHS, from Blockbuster Video. Those used to exist, and they were awesome. And it was called Inherit the Wind. And I had this tiny TV that was about the size of an iPad screen in my room. It was a TV with a VHS player attached to it, so I put the tape in. And it was this movie called Inherit the Wind about, it was a movie set in the 1950s. The movie opens up with this song, Give Me That Old Time Religion. And it's just this old religious town um, where people are like very religious, but they are not really like walking with Jesus. And there's a guy who's a, a teacher in one of the schools in the 50s who teaches evolution. And back then that was a big no-no. Like nowadays everyone does evolution. Back then it was like, you taught evolution in our school? We're literally gonna throw you in jail. So they grab the guy, they put him on trial. Um, and what ends up happening is they, 
they have this trial, and this lawyer from the city comes to defend the evolutionist, and he's a really brilliant lawyer. He's really slick, really intelligent, really smart. He has all these arguments for evolution. Um, the townspeople don't hire a lawyer to defend their side. They hire their pastor, and their pastor comes, and he doesn't know anything. And I was sitting there watching the movie, and this lawyer like lays out this whole case for evolution, and he's just like, here you go, here's, here's the evidence, what do you think of this? And the pastor just goes, well, <laughs> let me tell you, son. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says it, and that's good enough for me. That's all he says. That's his only defense. And what ends up happening to him in the movie is the pastor has a heart attack and like dies in the trial because he's so stressed out by the atheist questions. And I was sitting there and I was like, I never wanna be that guy. Like I never wanna be that pastor who just doesn't know anything. Like I wanna learn, I wanna grow. Guys, I encourage you, grow, learn, open yourself up. God has given us a mind and when we use, him, when we use our mind to glorify him, amazing things happen. When I only did one semester of Bible college, um, I'm not cool like Matt, he graduated. Matt's brilliant, I love hanging out with him. Um, I called him the other day when I was studying because I was like, what do you think of this? You went to Bible college, share with me your insights. And we had a lovely chat. So I, I appreciate all of these awesome interns that have come through, like Stephen, Pete, Austin, guys who went through Bible college. I love that. For me, I only did one semester. And honestly, when I did that one semester, I was not paying attention. Um, I got distracted by the cutest girl in the world, Brooklyn. Um, she, it wasn't her fault, it was my fault, but I just let myself get distracted. And since I've been back, I've been trying so hard to make up for lost time, honestly. I try so hard to read every book I can get my hands on, to listen to every Bible study I can get my hands on. I used to be like, I know everything, no one can teach me. Now I'm like, give me more, Lord. And the Bible says knowledge puffs up with pride. Don't let your intention with knowledge to be like, I wanna become this super brilliant person who just like stumps everybody. Your desire to grow should simply be knowing God more. Read what you can, listen to what you can. We live in a world where literally there are so many YouTube videos and podcasts and books and all of these things that point us to the Lord. You have so many resources. Please spend some time Carve out some time during your week to learn. Come here and listen to the people who teach and take notes and go home and think about those notes. Like, just don't treat this like one of your classes where it's just like, when is this guy gonna shut up? Some of you guys are thinking that. I'm almost done, okay? Um, the last thing that I'll say to you guys is just apply yourself. Apply yourself. God's given you a life. Apply yourself to it. Um, I've struggled with my weight my entire life. It's, well, when I was a baby, I mean, I was a fat baby, but I wasn't thinking about it. So it wasn't really a struggle at that point. But later on, it became a struggle when I became aware that the girls in my class didn't like me. And I looked down, and I was like, oh, that's why. Uh, yeah, so um, I remember one time I was trying to lose weight, always on this epic battle to lose weight. And I was in my office with a couple junior high kids, James Frizee, Sam Buccelli, Becca Cobian. And um, I remember <laughs> I, I got this pizza and um, I had it in my office and the kids knew I was trying to lose weight. And so little Becca, seventh grade, is like, Pastor Aaron, like don't eat the pizza. 
just eat one piece and then have apples. That's better for you. And I was like, you're right, Becca. I will do that. Like, I will eat that apple, and I, I will just have one slice, and I'll, I'll go out to the junior high kids, and I'll give them the other slices, and it's going to be awesome. And she was like, yay, I made a positive influence, and she left. And as soon as she left, I ate the entire pizza. <clears throat> um, yeah, so here's what I've realized. I have lost weight in my life and gained it back at times, but the only time I have ever lost weight is when I applied myself when I actually stuck to something. There was this diet I went on called Whole30, which is a whole month. I exercised and I only ate natural foods like meats, vegetables, nuts. I didn't eat stuff like bread, sugar, and cheese, my favorite things. Um, and you know the things that make life lift, worth living, bread, sugar, and cheese, cookie dough, ice cream, stuff like that. I applied myself and I lost 30 pounds in 30 days. But when I stopped applying myself, I gained it all right back. I want to encourage you guys, apply yourself. And here's how you do it. You're going to have days where you do well and days where you don't do well. But if your mentality is, all of the stuff that I do, I do for an audience of one. I do for the Lord. I do it for him. That's what it's all about. Everything you do matters. Everything that you say matters. Like, seriously, your words matter. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Um, he says, you may speak but a word to a child, and in that child there may be slumbering a noble heart which shall stir the Christian church for years to come. I love that. Here's what he's saying. You could literally go into children's ministry and say one thing to one kid there, just one encouraging thing, and that could change that person's life forever. Did you know that happened to me? I was in that room next door, I was in sixth grade. Jason Yetz, one of our youth leaders, came up to me. I was looking at the bulletin board, and he just comes up and he says, Aaron, I just feel like God wanted me to tell you that you're an encourager. You have the gift of encouragement. Literally, that statement changed the course of my life. When he said that to me, God woke something up in my mind that made me realize that God was calling me to a life of standing up here and, and standing down there and encouraging every single person I could. That was literally like one of the things that began my journey into youth ministry was that moment. One thing that you say to somebody, one kind word, you responding to God putting something in your heart and speaking could change someone's life. How do you apply yourself? Just constantly be in prayer asking God, how can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? <sighs> so, that's pretty much the end of the message. But I have something else I need to share with you guys. And really all of this stuff, all of this stuff I've been sharing comes from a place of kind of what I'm going through right now and what Brooklyn is going through right now. For many of you guys, you know that we went to Ireland. And um, if you were there at summer camp, I shared with the people at summer camp um, that we're going to Ireland for two months, and there's a big chance that coming back, um, we may actually end up moving there. And so we went for two months, and it was awesome. We helped eight different churches, and it was just incredible. Like, all these churches needed help. All these churches needed 
to be blessed and encouraged. We help them build websites. We help them with flyers. We help them with preaching and teaching. Uh, We help them with youth ministry, children's ministry. And I had guys in Ireland saying like, hey, you should come back to Ireland and be my assistant pastor. You should come be our youth pastor. Come be our college pastor. So we got home and we like really started praying about all that stuff. And we're like, oh my gosh, like what does God want us to do? And we started to really feel like God was directing us towards Ireland. Like it was this huge like burden to like go and like help and serve Ireland and help these pastors. And then I decided to take some time to pray and fast about it. And so uh, I prayed and I fasted for like a week and it was hard because I love food. Um, Food is awesome. But during that week, God spoke to me and he said something really weird to me. He was like, Aaron, uh, I want you to be involved with Ireland but I also right now want you to be involved with Oklahoma. And I was like, what on earth, God? What are you talking about? Oklahoma is where my wife lives. And God was speaking to me, and I started to pray. And what God started to say to me was, before Aaron and Brooklyn, before we go overseas to Ireland or England or someplace like that, I really felt like what God was saying to me was, I needed some time to spend with my wife's family and to kind of just unplug and um, do ministry in a different way, like be a volunteer, Uh, which is crazy. I haven't been a volunteer since I was like 20. Um, And uh, like serve in a different way. Like there was uh, some stuff that opened up where we heard about a college ministry in Oklahoma that needed someone to be a pastor for the college kids in Oklahoma, but as a volunteer. Um, So no pay, right? Um, Which is awesome. Like that's the church. Like I've been standing up here for years telling you guys, you don't have to work at a church and be paid by a church to do ministry. And all of a sudden God's looking at me and saying, hey, can you actually do that? Are you just gonna be the guy who stands up and preaches to people while you have this church job, while you're paid to do this church stuff? Or can you actually be out in the world, living in the world, working in the world and still doing the things that you're doing now and leading people and discipling people? And my wife has this huge burden for her family to see a lot of people in her family come to know Jesus in a deeper way. So we've been praying about also going to Oklahoma and like starting a Bible study um, for her friends and family in Oklahoma, starting a college group as a volunteer. Um, And so that's kind of the way that God's leading us. And so um, it's hard for me to talk about because I love you guys, I really do. Like um, I've been in this group since I was in sixth grade, like starting out in junior high. I was in sixth grade. When I was 15, I started as a volunteer and I, did that for such a long time. I became the junior high pastor, did that for four years. I'm, this is my fourth year now of doing high school ministry. Um, it's been awesome. Um, but we feel like God's calling us onto kind of a new adventure. And so um, I'm actually gonna be leaving in about uh, like the beginning of April, which is pretty soon. And my dad and I are working really hard to find somebody to take my place. There's a couple of guys we're looking at, a couple of things we're figuring out. Um, And I know that that'll be a blessing. And I know that for some of you guys, you're probably like, we have had you forever and a new person would be awesome. Um, Some of you guys though will be bummed. And I understand that because I love you guys. Honestly, straight up, you guys are family. Um, Some of you guys I know really well. Some of you guys I wish I knew better. Um, I think probably my biggest regret in youth ministry is I wish I had time to literally like sit down with every single one of you one-on-one every week and like go to lunch with every single one of you guys and like talk and like ask you how you're doing. Um, I wish I could do that. I wish there was time, but I'm so blessed that we've had so many volunteers in this group that God has raised up to do work. Um, Here's something you guys can be praying for me about because I really need prayer for this. 
So with Ireland, God was speaking to me, and he's like, Aaron, I want you to go to Oklahoma for like six months to a year. And, um, but God started speaking to me. He was like, I still want you to serve Ireland. And I was like, how do I do that? And God gave me this vision. And basically what he said was, Aaron, even though you thought you were gonna go to Ireland and like do, do church stuff and like do youth ministry stuff, that is something that I think will happen in the future. But for now, you can serve Ireland from right, right where you are. And what God told me was, there's pastors in Ireland, there's eight different churches over there, Calvaries, that need help with things like graphic design, web design, um, someone to edit their audio for their messages. This is all really important stuff that you guys probably don't think about, but like for those churches, it's huge. Stuff like that helps people find their churches. It helps people get access to their churches. None of those pastors can afford that stuff. Like they can't afford to hire anyone to do it. So God gave me this vision, which is basically to start a nonprofit. And if you don't know what a nonprofit is, is it's a business that doesn't sell anything. So the only way you make money is by people like donating to you. So it's basically this huge leap of faith. I'm starting this job for myself where I'm gonna be working for eight different churches for free, like giving them graphics and web. It's basically, it's like a charity. It's giving them this stuff for free. Um, and I'm just gonna have to trust the Lord. Brooklyn and I are just gonna have to trust the Lord that God will provide somehow. And so that's the plan. And uh, it sounds really crazy. Like, I mean, I think what makes more sense is to like go start a business and like make money. But God was pointing me and was like, hey, someone needs to help these guys who can't afford this stuff. Like someone needs to help these Irish pastors. And, and God was like, Aaron, you wanna help Ireland, but you think you can't do it until you move there, but I want you to start helping right now. And so Brooklyn and I are gonna do it together. We're gonna have a little home business. We're gonna live with her grandma, and like I'm gonna work out of like the spare bedroom, and it's gonna be a weird, it's gonna be so weird, because I've been so used to like this Southern California um, youth ministry bubble that I've been in my whole life, but you know, I'm so excited about what God's gonna do in the future because I know that God's gonna use us out there in Oklahoma, and I know that God's gonna bless this group. I know that God's gonna raise up more people to teach and serve. I'm not leaving right away. I, I didn't wanna like have like, oh, this is my last Sunday, see ya, and then leave, that would be so lame. So like, I'm here for uh, like another like, uh, I'm here until the beginning of April, and I'll be here to teach, and I'll be here to be with you guys, and I love you guys, and um, I'm hoping that the new person will transition in soon, but, um, just pray for us. It's so stressful. <laughs> Moving is really stressful. And um, it's stressful to leave. I love this place. I love this church. I love all of you guys and this people. And I've been so blessed. Like God has taught me so much through this group. God has taught me so much through you guys and your brothers and sisters who are older than you and came through this group and graduated. Like this has been my life. This has been Brooklyn's life for the last over a decade, just being in this youth group and being a part of it. It's been, I would not trade it for the world. Like I said, I wanted to go to Hollywood. I wanted to like be a movie star and they do all that stuff. That was such a dumb idea. This was God's plan for me and it was the best plan ever. And I'm so blessed that I got to be a part of this group. Um, here's another thing too. For those of you guys who, you know, you know me, we're tight. Um, actually, all you guys, because I love all you guys. If you guys ever need anything, like I'm here for you. Like I'm going to Oklahoma, but you, I can give you my number and Brooklyn's number, girls. And if you guys need anything, prayer or um, just anything, seriously, anytime, we're here for you. Like we're not like disappearing off the face of the planet. 
Um, I want to be a youth pastor who, even though you're going to get a new youth pastor, um, the people who used to be my youth pastors, I had five different youth pastors. I had a different youth pastor every year. Um, I still think of them as my youth pastors, and I still call them and text them and ask them Bible questions and ask them for prayer. I want to be that for you. Like, I want to, because I love you. I love all of you, every single one of you. And um, I want to be like that with you guys, and I want you to know that I'm always there for you. So, um, yeah, it's heavy and it's crazy, but um, just please pray for us because it's been so much work. The last couple of weeks, I've been working like 70 hours a week just trying to get all this stuff together, and it's, it's been stressful, but I know that it's a part of what God is doing in our life, and uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, and, uh, yeah, just please pray for us is all I'm asking. Can you, can you guys do that for us? Can you pray for us and keep us in prayer? Okay. Um, so we're going to tell the rest of the church next week, but we want to tell you guys first because you guys are the homies. So I'm going to pray. And then, uh, yes. Can we pray for you now? Sure. Yeah. That'd be great. I'll just, uh, I'll just go sit ne- down next to my wife and we can, we can pray.